are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. When I first read about stuck pot rice many years ago, I guffawed a bit because who needs a recipe for that? I come from a long line of cooks that cannot make rice without burning it. Any night where rice is on the stove ends with a gunked up pot soaking overnight in the sink. It's tradition. One day I will teach this guy too. And she has a reference to her very cute little boy. But here, rice that sticks to pot is an art form. The basic formula has you parboil rice for five minutes, drain it, mix it with some ingredients, flavor, and splash of water. And then the rice is returned to a heated, oiled pot and pressed in tight, it sizzles, lidded tightly enough so that no steam will escape, and cooked at very low heat for about 30 minutes, and then scraped, theoretically it comes out in one piece, mine never has, you scrape it out onto a plate and brought to the table where everyone can have a butter knife fighting, (laughs) kidding, over the crunchy bits. So while the flavors are up to you, when they were up to me, I took it on an Arabic tour, giving it a Mujar Darish vibe, and I think you should too. If you're unfamiliar with Mujadara, imagine rice and lentils that are cooked together with spices and then heaped with caramelized onions for the unquestionably most rib-sticking, soul-pleasing vegetarian meal on this earth. Here, I use a higher portion of rice to lentils and stir in some yogurt. Finished with extra yogurt and a squeeze of lemon juice, it's perfect. It coordinates with everything, and you can make it for dinner tonight. Here's the recipe. Stuck pot rice with lentils and yogurt, and this is adapted from How to Cook Everything Vegetarian. There's some notes at the bottom. This serves four generously as a main dish and six as a side. You'll need salt, one cup of brown or green lentils washed and picked over, one and a half cups of white basmati rice rinsed well, one quarter cup of olive oil, one large onion thinly sliced, one quarter cup of plain yogurt, preferably whole milk, though low fat will work, plus additional for serving, two tablespoons of lemon juice, plus additional lemon wedges for serving, one-third cup of water, one, two teaspoons of ground cumin, freshly ground black pepper or red pepper flakes, chopped fresh flat-leaf parsley, cilantro, or mint for garnish. This is optional. Bring a medium-sized heavy pot with a tight-fitting lid so you can use one pot for all the steps. Uh, bring that heavy pot of salt, salted water to a boil. Add lentils and boil for five minutes, then add rice and boil for five minutes more without stirring. Drain the mixture and transfer to a large bowl. You can heat the same pot over medium-high heat. Once heated, add two tablespoons of oil, and once the oil is warm, add onions and a couple pinches of salt and cover with a lid. Cook, stirring occasionally until lightly caramelized and brown about 10 to 12 minutes. Add onions to the bowl with rice and lentils. Stir in yogurt, lemon juice, water, cumin, and pepper, plus additional salt to taste. Heat the pot again over medium-high heat. Once fully hot, add the remaining two tablespoons of oil. 
Once that is hot, return the rice mixture to the pot, pressing it in. Again, it will sizzle. Wrap clean kitchen towel around the lid of the pot so it completely covers the inside of the lid. Gather the corners on top so they do not fall anywhere near the stove. And then place the lid on the pot, sealing tightly. Reduce heat to very low and cook undisturbed for about 30 minutes. The rice should smell toasty but not burned and you might need to check it once or twice if you're making it for the first time. Remove from the heat and let sit for 5 minutes more. Carefully remove the lid and cloth and turn the pot upside down over a platter. If rice comes out in a single crust, terrific. If not, use a spatula to scrape crisp pieces out of the pan and onto the remaining rice. Garnish with chopped parsley and cilantro and serve with lemon wedges and additional plain yogurt and dig in. So here are the notes. This is the fried rice of my dreams, the crunch I'm always hoping I'll get but rarely do. The trickiest thing about this dish will be that the first time you make it, you'll need to pay attention to your stove. While 30 minutes at very low heat usually does the trick, low means different things on different stoves and different pots will conduct differently. It should get toasty but not burnt. A heavy pot is recommended. I found one that I'd forgotten about in the closet, uh, which worked great, but I kind of secretly wonder if a non-stick pot could more easily provide a perfectly intact crust. I'm also curious about making this in a skillet for maxim maximum crust to center ratio. The next most important thing is a tight fitting lid. You want to keep the steam in the pot to keep the rice from drying out and burning before it's cooked. Wrapping the lid in a towel will help. So this recipe is adapted from Mark Bittman. He was as taken with the preparation as I am and created many different versions. All are listed in How to Cook Everything Vegetarian. He did versions with potato, pita, and tortilla crusts, and flavors from dates and saffron and mango and ginger to chili powder and sour cream. As far as the lentils, um, mujadara is made usually made with large green or brown lentils. I used small brown ones and they worked well. The only time I would not recommend is the kind I recommended a few weeks ago. Sorry about that. Those tiny green lentils de Puy, P-U-I, whose intact, lightly crunchy beauty is just not needed here. Save them for salads. And I used tiny lentils and they cooked quickly. I'm hearing in the comments that a lot of your lentils are not cooking with only five minutes of parboiling. And I'm adding a note suggesting 10 minutes for larger lentils. Brown basmati rice can be used here too, but you'll want to boil it for 10 minutes in the water before adding the lentils for the last five minutes in the first step. Update to the note, please proceed with caution if you're using brown rice. Early responses about the brown rice suggest that it needs more par, par cooking time than Bitman suggested to work. All right, next recipe, potato pizza. Doesn't that sound interesting and good if you're just totally in the mood for carbs? I've been holding out way too long on giving one of the great Roman pizzas, pizza con potate e rosmarino, which, like most things, sounds much sexier in Italian than the fudful translation of potato pizza with rosemary. The adoration-driven revisit it deserves on this site. I first talked about potato pizza here in 2008, but I never felt that that recipe did it justice. 
Jim Lehu, who had recently blown up everything we knew about making bread with his brilliant no-need boule, was preparing to open a pizza place and had shared his potato pizza recipe with Martha Stewart. But I'd had trouble with it. The proportions seemed off, not enough potato, a persnickety dough. It was low on details that I needed, like how big it was supposed to be, and it had pesky steps, like soaking the potatoes in several changes of ice water, so not fun if one lacks one of those fancy fridges with ice makers. But it wasn't until I went to Rome in 2013 that I realized exactly how far off it was from the ideal. Don't worry, Leahy is going to come rescue us in a bit. Roman pizza con patate is something else. A soft, almost goopy dough is neither rolled or even tossed in the air like some sort of cartoon, but stretched, pressed, nudged, and patted with oiled or floured fingertips, translucently thin into a rimmed rectangular pan. Potatoes that have been soaked in salt water until they're as floppy as deli slices are spread in many layers all the way to the edges and even thicker there as it will get darkest most quickly. From the oven, the crust is chewy and crisp and the most buried layer layers of potato become soft while the ones on top curl, brown, and crisp like potato chips. And yes, that means you can tell everyone you're eating potato chip pizza for dinner and watch the pangs of envy spread across their face. <laughs> a study in minimalism, like most Roman cooking, it's also something of a weeknight triumph. It requires all of the three ingredients, potatoes, onion, and rosemary, besides olive oil, salt, pepper, water, flour, yeast, which means it's also vegan. It sounds like something that would be very heavy, but it's quite the opposite. Our favorite way to eat it is alongside a green salad, or if you've gotten your hands on asparagus, ramps and other spring delights, and it's not, say, 42 degrees where you are right now. We love it with spring vegetables. I'll tell you, I'm looking at the pictures of the pizza, and this doesn't have any other vegetables on it. It's just got the potatoes on it, and just like Deb said, they're curled up and brown and crispy, and it just it looks really good and interesting, something different to have. So here is the recipe, potato pizza, even better, adapted from Jim Leahy's My Bread. Notes, a tiny bit more context. Potato pizza is one kind that the pizza al taglio, that is considered daytime pizza in Rome, baked in electric ovens in large rectangular or oblong shapes, cut with scissors to the size you desired and sold by weight. Wood-burning ovens historically weren't allowed to run until 6 p.m. in Rome, and this was the delicious modification that emerged. Potato pizza is a variation on the gold standard of Roman bread, which is pizza bianca, which is pizza with just olive oil, rosemary, and salt that amounts to so much more than it sounds. Did you read that part about the electric oven? Unlike most of the pizza gushed over these days, this is not pizza optimized for a 900-degree pizza oven, notably absent in most homes, but the ovens we already have. Not that it wouldn't be amazing in a wood-fired pizza oven, but if you don't have one in that cramped studio walk-up, you're not going to start this recipe at a loss. Despite struggling with his first printed version, Leahy himself came to the rescue in 2012 with a much easier-to-follow potato pizza recipe in his first book that I've had great success with. So let us all applaud the silent co-authors of cookbooks that make great chef, um, great chef recipes work for the rest of us. 
The newer version lets us know exactly how big of a tray you'll need, uses more potatoes, a simpler process of preparing them, and I mean, just look at the results. So, want to make this with sweet potatoes? Leahy says that his version, pizza batata, should be made with slightly more water, four and a half cups, for the same amount of salt, and that two sweet potatoes is all you'll need. And skip the rosemary on the sweet potato pizza. So one recipe pizza dough below, or about two-thirds volume of my lazy fitted to your schedule favorite, or your favorite, whichever it may be. You'll also need four teaspoons of fine sea or table salt, six to eight small to medium Yukon gold potatoes peeled, one medium yellow onion diced, one half teaspoon of freshly ground black pepper, four to five tablespoons of olive oil, about one tablespoon of fresh rosemary leaves. In a medium bowl, you're going to combine the one quart of lukewarm water with salt, stirring into the salt has dissolved. Use a mandolin or your best sharpest knife to slice the potatoes very thin, about one sixteenth of an eighth inch thick, and put the slice directly into the salted water, which prevents oxidation and also helps them to soften up so that they cook nicely. Leahy says to let them soak for one and a half hours or up to 12 in the fridge overnight, but I was quite happy with my results after a 25 to 30 minute soak. You're going to heat your oven to 500 degrees Fahrenheit with a rack in the center. Brush either a uh, 13 by 18 inch rimmed half sheet pan or two 9 by 13 inch quarter sheet pans uh, with olive oil. And then you're going to divide your risen dough in half and use your fingertips, oiled or dusted with flour, to pull, stretch, nudge, and press the dough across the bottom of the pan. The dough will be thin and imperfect, and if holes form, just pinch them together. It's all going to work out, I promise. Drain the potatoes in a colander and use your hands to press out as much water as possible, then pat dry on paper towels. In a medium bowl, toss the potato slices with the onion, pepper, and olive oil, and then spread this potato mixture over your dough, going all the way to the edges so that there's no uncovered edge. Put a bit more topping around the edges of the pie as the outside tends to cook more quickly. Sprinkle evenly with rosemary. Usually the salt that the potatoes were soaked in is enough, but you can sprinkle on more if desired. Bake for 25 to 30 minutes until the topping is starting to turn golden brown and the crust is nicely bronzed underneath. Serve the pizza hot or at room temperature. So here's Jim Leahy's basic pizza dough. This is halved and modified slightly. You'll need two cups minus one tablespoon of all-purpose or bread flour, one and a quarter teaspoons of instant or active dry yeast, a heaped one quarter teaspoon of fine sea or table salt, a heaped one quarter teaspoon granulated sugar, two thirds cup of room temperature water. In a medium bowl, you're going to stir together the flour, yeast, salt, and sugar. Add the water and using a wooden spoon or your hand, mix until well blended about 30 seconds. Cover the bowl and let sit at room temperature until the dough has more than doubled in volume and that takes about two hours. And then continue using the instructions above. Next, we're gonna have a recipe for zucchini latkes. Yum.
Despite the fact that it takes some kind of crazy to cook a separate meal while embedded in preparing a multi-course meal for a dinner party, yet another night of takeout, even from my beloved kitchen market, seemed unbearable last night. And seeing as it was the first night of Hanukkah, it was only appropriate to make a batch of latkes. But tradition is so boring, isn't it? Thank goodness for food and wines, deliriously enticing latka vodka party. This is the second year in a row I'm kicking myself for not having one. Pairing them with a wasabi cream topping, a suggested accompaniment for the sweet potato variety. Awesome. Awesome. We skipped the caviar and what's not on top, as only one of us would have loved that, and it's not the person standing over the stove, tra-la-la. It all went perfectly with lightly dressed Napa cabbage salad and, you betcha, a hefty glass of wine. And now the kitchen yet beckons again. Soup, tart, salad, cheater's cream anglais. Those croutons are going to toast themselves, lady. So here's the recipe, zucchini latkes. This is adapted from food and wine. Psst. These days I like these zucchini fritters even more, and there's another recipe on smittenkitchen.com. This one makes about four dozen one and a half inch latkes. One pound of medium zucchini, one large baking potato, three quarters of a pound, peeled, one small onion, peeled, one half cup of matzo meal, one large egg, lightly beaten, one teaspoon of fresh lemon juice, one and a half teaspoons salt, one half teaspoon of freshly ground pepper, and vegetable oil for frying. So you're going to have the zucchini crosswise and cut the zucchini flesh off the CD center and coarsely grate it in a food processor. Or you can grate it on a box grater until you reach the CD center and then discard the center. In a food processor, processor or on a box grater, coarsely grate the potato and onion. Transfer the grated zucchini, potato, and onion to a colander and squeeze dry. Let stand for two minutes and then squeeze again. Transfer the vegetable mixture to a large bowl. Add the matzo meal, egg, lemon juice, salt, and pepper and stir to combine. In a medium skillet, you're going to heat two tablespoons of vegetable oil until shimmering, and then drop packed teaspoons of the zucchini mixture into the skillet and flatten them with the back of a spoon. Cook the latkes over moderately high heat until the edges are golden about one and a half minutes. Flip and cook until golden on the bottom about one minute, and then drain on paper towels. Repeat with the remaining zucchini mixture, adding more oil to the skillet as needed. As far as doing ahead, the fried latkes can be kept at room temperature for up to four hours. Reheat them on a dark baking sheet in a 375 degree oven for about five minutes or until warmed through and crisp. Sounds delicious. So I'm torn on which recipe to do. We might have time for both. So I'm going to start with the raspberry buttermilk cake, also from Smitten Kitchen. As you may have guessed, I have a serious soft spot for everyday cakes. I call them dinner party cakes or potluck cakes or I heard you were coming and so I baked you a cake cakes. Or if you bake a cake, the people will come cakes. As a fresh from the oven cake has a way of drawing friends around your coffee table on an otherwise blah Monday night. Home baked goods are magical like that. This one was no exception. Well, 
except for the part where the prego in the audience may have fallen asleep before actually telling people when to ring the doorbell, but let's not talk about that. I saw it in Gourmet last week, and it sounded so deliciously summery. I was fixin', as my friend Molly says, to bake it immediately. Alas, I'm still convinced my new kitchen conspires against me, as this time the oven, which had been working a whole 36 hours before, had mysteriously stopped. Uh, the mystery turned out to be pilot light that needed relighting. Okay, what? I'm new here? All right. I had to wait a whole four days to actually get to cooking this, but it was totally worth the wait. This cake is ridiculously simple. It takes no time at all to assemble or bake, especially if you discover that your newly lit oven runs ridiculously hot and spits out an almost toasted cake in just over half the suggested time. Not that I recommend this. It's therefore just perfect for your upcoming long weekend or Tuesday night, as it will not keep you from it. I already told you it's magic. So here's the recipe, raspberry buttermilk cake adapted from Gourmet in June of 2009. You can just ignore the word raspberry up there and swap it with any which berry you please, like blackberries or blueberries or bits of strawberries or all of the above. This is a good, basic, go-to buttermilk cake, not unlike a lemon yogurt cake before it. Moist and ever so light, a great jumping off point for whatever you can dream up. By the way, I was having a moment when I made this, and for once, I remembered to weigh my ingredients as I measured them. For all of you people out there that know weighing is way easier than dirtying a zillion cups and spoons, this makes one thin, nine-inch cake. So we're going to give this recipe in weights also. Uh, one cup or 130 grams of all-purpose flour, one-half teaspoon or two grams of baking powder, one-half teaspoon or two grams of baking soda, one teaspoon of salt, four tablespoons, two ounces or 55 grams of unsalted butter, softened, two-thirds cup, or 146 grams, plus one and a half tablespoons or 22 grams of sugar, divided, one half teaspoon of pure vanilla extract, one half teaspoon of finely grated lemon zest, this is optional, one large or 57 gram egg, one half cup of well-shaken buttermilk, one cup of fresh raspberries, or five ounces, or 140 grams. Preheat your oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit with a rack in the middle. Butter and flour a nine-inch round cake pan. You're going to whisk together the flour, baking powder, baking soda, and salt, and set aside. In a larger bowl, you're going to beat butter and two-thirds cup of sugar, also known as 146 grams, with an electric mixer at medium-high speed until pale and fluffy, and then beat in vanilla and zest if you're using. Add egg and beat well. At low speed, mix in flour mixture in three batches, alternating with buttermilk, beginning and ending with flour, and mixing until just combined. Spoon the batter into the cake pan, smoothing the top. Scatter the raspberries evenly over the top and sprinkle with the remaining one and a half tablespoons or 22 grams of sugar. Bake until the cake is golden and a wooden pick inserted into the center comes out clean. That'll be about 20 to 25 minutes. Cool in the pan 10 minutes and then turn out onto a rack and cool to warm 10 to 15 minutes more. Invert onto a plate. You can make your own almost buttermilk. 
There's no need to buy buttermilk, especially for this or any recipe. You just add one tablespoon um, of vinegar or lemon juice to one cup of milk and let it sit until it curdles about 10 minutes. And voila! Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.